Last uh, Lord's Day, uh, I spoke about being amazed by grace. Today, I want to speak about being scandalised by grace. That's that's the the topic, scandalised by grace. Well, let's pray as we come to meditate upon this. Father, we really should be amazed by your grace, as John Newton was, and many have been, because though we are lost and deserve to be lost, yet in your grace uh, we can be found. And yet, our Lord, although it's such a wonderful truth to know, there can be parts of it which uh, we have difficulty coming to terms with. And as we think about that now, we pray for your spirit to guide us and lead us so that we might benefit from a consideration of this passage from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me introduce you to three people uh, you'd probably prefer not to meet. The first, and they're probably people you've not heard of, and in one sense I'm sure you'd you know, think, well, I would rather not have heard of them even now, but there is something to that. The first one, a person that you would probably not want to meet, it was a man by the name of Wesley Allen Dodd. And you wouldn't want to meet Wesley Allen Dodd because he murdered three children after sexually abusing two of them. He was found guilty and he was sentenced to death. And while on death row, he became a Christian. Second person is a woman by the name of Carla Faye Tucker. Carla Faye Tucker was a prostitute and drug addict and she murdered two people when she was in a drug-induced frenzy. And she was found guilty and sentenced to death and while in prison became a Christian. The third is, uh, I hope I can pronounce his name correctly, is Kiang Nek Yu. And Kiang Nek Yu was Pol Pot's right-hand man in the the killing fields of Cambodia. And he was responsible for the execution of more than 14,000 people. Somehow, uh, he came in contact with American missionaries on, on the Thai-Cambodian border. And like the other two I've already mentioned, he became a Christian. Now, let, let me ask you just to consider in your minds... Uh, I don't really expect you to say anything out loud, but uh, uh, what's your response to the fact that each of these three became Christians? Perhaps your thoughts were something like this. How could God forgive them? How could God forgive them? Because, you know, if their conversions are genuine, that's what he's done. Or you want to think, well, look, if people like them are in heaven, I'm not sure I want to be there. Because if their conversions are genuine, that's where they are. And that's where they will be. So, you know, with that sort of introduction, can you understand why I've uh, entitled this message Scandalised by Grace? Scandalised by Grace. In the three parables that that Jesus told in Luke uh, that we read, chapter 15... 
Jesus told these parables about three things that were lost. Uh, and when he told these three parables, he, he was, no doubt amongst other things, he was focusing on the reactions that the hearers of these parables that he's told would have. Because there'd be reactions to God's grace. And we notice this, and I should have encouraged you to have your Bibles open. Verses 1 and 2, you see, before Jesus actually tells the parable, we get the setting of it. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And I like the way that the NIV here has the word sinners in inverted commas. In other words, really, for the Pharisees, this this is shock and horror. Jesus not only welcomes such people, but he actually interacts with them and and he eats with them. Scandalous. The first two parables, you know, about the lost sheep and the lost coin, they, they, they perhaps they didn't seem to be too bad to these grumbling Pharisees. You would think that even they would be pleased that the, the shepherd found his lost sheep and that the, the woman found her lost coin. Even they would think that was good, you would hope. Though probably they wouldn't have liked the application that Jesus made to those parables. Verse 7 After telling the parable about the lost sheep, what's Jesus' comment? I tell you that in the same way there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And in verse 10, after telling the parable of the lost coin, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Happy enough with the stories, but not too pleased with the application. Then, of course, the third parable moves from sheep and coins to human beings. And it doesn't just focus on the joy of one sinner repenting. We were in another church a few weeks ago and they were going through a series of messages on this third parable. Uh, And they say, isn't it strange, you you hear the parable of the prodigal son and it's as if the parable of the prodigal son finishes uh, when the father says, the son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate, end of parable. That's what it seems to be like often. You hear so much about the prodigal son, but how much do we hear about the older brother? Well, the parable doesn't stop with the younger son returning home. It goes on and it makes an issue. Jesus makes an issue out of the response of the older brother, doesn't he? This older brother is resentful. He's angry with his father because of his father's extravagant welcome home to his younger brother. By so doing, Jesus is implying if not actually saying outright, he's implying, isn't he, that the Pharisees and the scribes are just like that older brother. Now, we might like to think that the, that the, the sheep deserve to be sought and found. We might like to think about the, in the same lines about relation to the coin, but, but this brat of a son, 
Are we really happy with, with that? All this leads, I think, to a, to a VIQ, a very important question. What is it that we don't like about grace? What is it that scandalises us about God's grace? Because isn't there a little bit of the older brother in each one of us? So what is it that we don't like about grace? That marvellous, infinite, matchless grace that we've just sung about. It's been suggested that there are three reasons why we struggle with God's grace. Not his grace towards us, of course, but his grace towards others. And the three reasons have been uh, described like this, expressed like this. Firstly, that grace as a concept is foreign to us. Secondly, that grace takes matters out of our hands. And thirdly, that grace is just too indiscriminate. Let's expand on those. Firstly, one thing that um, can make it difficult for us to come to terms with the wonders of God's grace is that grace as a concept is foreign to us. It's foreign to us. By that I mean there's no area in our lives where grace is the guiding principle. I mean, things have to be earned, don't they? No work, no pay. No effort, no reward. No pain, no gain. That's the sort of principle that we so often work on. And even when we're offered freebies, they aren't really free. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You have to be in it to win it. Buy this and buy that and you'll get something free. Have you noticed that with some of the ads? All these free things you get, but of course you've got to join up first and that costs. And you can travel, for instance, on Melbourne's trams and trains and buses for free. But unless you have a concession card, you actually buy, have to buy a ticket first. So with this sort of background... It's no wonder that grace is foreign to us, is it? Secondly, grace takes matters out of our hands. Grace takes matters out of our hands. If there's one thing we're keen on, it's being in control of our lives, in determining our destiny. I remember seeing images, it's a few years ago now, of, of Timothy McVeigh, the, the Oklahoma bomber. And he's being led off to the gas chamber. Do you know what he actually said? He said, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. And he's being led off to be executed. We like to think that we're in control. My wife Barbara will tell you that uh, I'm forever making lists of things. Love making lists. And I like to be able to tick them off one after the other as they get done. But you know, there's no list that we can make that we can hand to God with everything ticked off. As if to say, look, there you are, God, now just open the door and let me in. Ticking all the boxes, fulfilling all the requirements of the law was what the rich young ruler had in mind when he came to Jesus, wasn't it? Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Give me a list. But 
listen to what Paul says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, grace takes things out of our hands. And we're not always happy with that, are we? The third reason that uh, grace can scandalise us is that grace so often seems to be just too indiscriminate. Actually, in our day and age, uh, when discrimination is a dirty word, uh, we shouldn't be uncomfortable with this truth, should we? Shouldn't we be glad that there's a welcome for wayward, wasteful, prodigal sons and, to be non-discriminatory, wasteful, wayward, prodigal daughters? Shouldn't we be delighted that there's a welcome for objectionable and rude and crude characters? Shouldn't we rejoice that there's a welcome for the Wesley Dodds and the Carla Tuckers and the Hyang Nyang Yus of this world? But the older son in the parable, he didn't see it that way, did he? Look, he said, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may, might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. That's so unfair. This son of yours, not, you notice, this brother of mine, this son of yours. He shouldn't even be allowed back in the house. Yet look what happens. It shouldn't surprise us that actually that connects with another parable as well. The parable that Jesus told about the two men who went up to the temple to pray. Because the Pharisee parallels the older brother. The Pharisee in that that one. He says, I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, especially like that tax collector over there. Whereas the tax collector parallels the younger brother, doesn't he? Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. As I mentioned earlier, discrimination is a, is a, a politically incorrect word. Uh, and, uh, and concept these days, isn't it? And to limit marriage to the union of a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others voluntarily entered into for life, that's a concept that's increasingly under attack. Because it's discriminatory. And there are other things as well. But even given that, we would sometimes like God to be a little bit more discriminating, wouldn't we, in his grace? I mean, his forgiving of anybody and everybody who truly turns from his or her sin and truly turns to God, that's a bit much. Except, of course, when it comes to me. So it's not surprising then that we can be Scandalised by grace, is it? And if we sometimes have these thoughts, uh, 
which indicate a misunderstanding of God's grace, then how should we think of it? Well, I suggest to you that uh, we'll understand God's grace better when we think about people and when we see people as God sees them. Look at them from a different perspective. Because that was the difference between the father and the older brother, wasn't it? How they perceived the younger one. The older son, he saw a man who'd cut himself off from his family, blown his inheritance and thrown his life away. A man who deserved no sympathy and should receive no sympathy. He's made his bed, let him lie in it. He's made his choices, let him suffer the consequences. But the father, the father saw a wayward son who had come to his senses, realised the foolishness of his ways and in the act of coming home had demonstrated true repentance. Remember what he said? Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad, you have every cause and every right to send me away, to refuse me entrance. You probably don't need to be told that the father in the parable represents God. God will be gracious to repentant prodigal sons, to repentant tax collectors, to repentant mass murderers, to repentant drug addicts, to repentant paedophiles, even to repentant Pharisees. And he'll be, even be gracious to those who are much more respectable sinners, if I can put it that way. But, but, only, but only when there is godly sorrow and genuine repentance. We'll understand God's grace better when we see people as God sees them. And we'll understand God's grace better when we want others to experience what we've experienced. That's why we should be praying for our neighbours, our workmates, our relatives, our friends. That's why we should invite them to church. That's why we should be ready to give an answer to those who ask us about our faith. That's why we should be supporting the preaching of the gospel both prayerfully and financially. I mean, don't you want others, if you've experienced God's grace, don't you want others to experience it as well? The scandal of the gospel of grace is this, and Paul puts it in one short sentence in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. Here's the scandal of the gospel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those people we just can't stand. Those people who rub us up the wrong way. Those people are so difficult to get along with. If they sincerely call upon the name of the Lord, they, like us, will be saved. They, like us, will be amongst those of every tongue and tribe and nation who have called upon the name of the Lord. Scandalised by grace. We ought not to be, ought we? Let me remind you or finish by suggesting to you something that would be really scandalous. And it's not an outlook that is all that far-fetched. 
Paul was accused of doing it. Why not do evil that good may come? Now, wouldn't that be scandalous? It was a question he asked. Why not continue in sin that grace may abound? That really would be a terrible misunderstanding of God's grace. That really would be scandalous, wouldn't it? Let us pray. Father, the extent of your grace is just so incredible. It's no wonder that we can have difficulty coming to terms with its vastness, its wonder. But we pray that as we think about how gracious you have been to us, that really for you to be gracious to anyone else is not something that's scandalous at all. Help us then, our Lord, to rejoice in your grace, to really desire that others may experience your grace as well. And all to your praise and to your honour. Jesus' name.